For the past decade, our teams have been working incredibly hard to make some big and much needed changes in how we develop leaders while at work. I challenge you to forge your own path in your own leadership evolution. Consider one that makes the lives of people around you and the business better by building more purpose-driven leaders and relationships with your teams. We need to build leaders who truly care about those they see and engage each and every day. We invite you to hear more about our own leadership and cultural journey, and the impactful stories will surely resonate with you and your teams. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am excited to introduce you to a friend and colleague of mine, Brian Selman, who's the Assistant Director of Coaching and Player Development for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He's been with the Pirates for the last 12 years and has, has rich experiences in all phases of the game, including on-field skill development, player evaluations, logistic, personal growth, leadership training, and team dynamics. And he really strives to bring this entrepreneurial and learning mindset to leverage athletics as a platform to lead society as a whole. He was fortunate to have played for Coach Nick Saban's 2009 National Championship football team at the University of Alabama as a long snapper. I'm gonna have to give a go Irish here just to keep everything balanced in the world. Um, but he has spent his entire life around athletics, surrounded by exceptional coaches and people. And I cannot wait to tune into this conversation to hear more from his wisdom and the organizations on how to develop people and cultures to deliver high performance. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. I'm pumped to be here. Yeah, it's uh, this is going to be an awesome conversation. So we're talking all things engagement. You know, from our side, we talk about engagement all the time and the importance of of really having people plugged in, right? So that they're bringing them full selves to work every single day and the challenges that 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 creates. And so, you know, in your world in professional baseball, there we're talking about player engagement, right? And so, you know, I, I think sometimes people think, man, th these guys are living their childhood dream, right? They, they they're living their childhood dream of playing professional baseball. So this should be easy. They should show up to the ballpark every single day, excited about everything in front of them. And yet, I'm sure there's highs and lows to that experience. So just high level, I would love to just hear, how do you guys think about player engagement as it relates to the individuals in your organization? Yeah, that, that childhood dream really was, was rooted in a lot of the uh, glamour of, of playing under the lights in the big stadium in front of all of the people Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN for millions of people to watch. What it missed was just the daily pursuit of that over a period of years to be able to earn that kind of opportunity, right? And so um, this is a challenge that all of our players have to go through regardless of where they're starting from. And we have players that come from you know, a 22-year-old that just finished his degree at Stanford to a 16-year-old from poverty-stricken area of a third-world Latin American country. And so, um, obviously, we as designers of this experience have to be adaptable and very versatile in how we engage with our players to help them figure out, for them, a, a unique answer and a unique approach as to what's going to help them work towards that end vision, right? We've gotten a ton of mileage in years past off of the uh, wisdom of Simon Sinek, start with why, and really just challenging our staff uh, all the time and just constantly be in this state of inquiry to understand where our guys are, to meet them where they're at, and help them navigate all of the temptations and challenges that come with being 
you know, a young man in pursuit of a huge dream and uh, never want them to feel like they've sacrificed any aspect of that vision, but also the habits and behaviors that are required to achieve it uh, are very difficult and require uh, a certain level of fortitude and guidance uh, along the way to make that happen. And so trying to engage people with uh, where they're at to help them understand their unique personal narratives, both for them to understand it and for us to understand it as leaders and designers of the experience to be able to help facilitate um, the path or at least the capacity to continue to walk down the path ahead. I think these are the, the things that we're constantly harping on with our, our staff. So I want to get into like your playbook for actually driving that type of engagement and building those habits and behaviors that you mentioned. But before we do, you said something that I think it really, really resonated with me. You said like, we as the designers of this experience. And so I think a lot of times when we talk employee engagement, team member engagement, or player engagement, um, a, a lot of that can be put on the onus on the individual of, of how can they more fully engage in this process to be plugged in with their head, their heart, and their hands at whatever they're putting it to. And I am the biggest believer in personal responsibility and accountability and putting that on the individual. But again, from a leadership and cultural standpoint, there is this element of environmental engineers, right? Environmental engineering. And so just flesh out maybe for our listeners a little bit more when you say, like, as we design this environment, what kinds of things are you guys thinking about and how are you proactively trying to create in a, a culture of engagement? Yeah, and, and to your point, none of that was in is aimed at diminishing the need for self-reliance or you know, being able to stand on your own feet at a certain point and, and navigate your world as an, as an individual. But there's definitely a, uh, as leaders in this space, a requirement, a calling, if you will, that we take every aspect of the environment and the space that we're putting around them and, and just apply the deepest and most coherent level of thoughtfulness that we possibly can to be able to navigate this with them. A lot of the ways that we engage this is trying to cultivate a similar environment with our uh, mid-level leaders or, or, or any anyone that has a role of influence. You know, the idea that you can't give away what you don't have yourself. And so if the people that we have in leadership positions regardless of where they are in a traditional hierarchy, uh, it's critical that they have a certain self-awareness of who they are, um, a heightened EQ, and just constantly willing to pursue deeper understanding both of who they are, who they're becoming, and also the people that they're trying to lead. So I'm not sure if I really answered your question a lot, but I think that was value added. <laughs> no, I think that's great. I mean, we we say all the time that you have to lead in before you lead out, right? And so as they're on this journey of of engaging their players and getting their players to more deeply engage, they to themselves have to be engaged, right? And beyond yes. that journey. You you also mentioned, and I know like just from my experience with the Pittsburgh Pirates over the last several years and having the incredible opportunity to be close to so many of you in your leadership office there that, you know, th this uh, element of inquiry right? And, yep. and line of questioning. Can you maybe flesh that out for us in terms of what what do you mean when you say inquisitive inquiry and, and how that impacts your team from an engagement standpoint? Well, everything that our players do and, and, and everything that they're pursuing and trying to grow comes with its own unique context. And if, if we're not 
attuned to, to what those contexts are and how that creates the environment that they're learning within, then we're going to miss most of the picture. We're going to end up uh, applying or ascribing solutions that may or may not fit, may or may not be relevant. And then at the end of the day, you end up with a somewhat of a lazy coaching process where we just blame the player. They didn't have the talent. They didn't want it bad enough. They didn't want to learn. They're not good learners. Whatever those excuses are, um, we really don't have space in our vocabulary for that kind of mentality. Our, our approach in player development, especially as a small market club, player development is critically important to us. Not that it's any less important for any other Major League Baseball team, but for us, it's imperative that we be really good. And we have to... Uh, challenge ourselves to remove labels, to remove internally our guys deciding what uh, a particular player's upside is when he's 17, 18 years old. You know, so much of this is a qualitative experience. We're not looking to create this predictive model so that we can know at 17 what a guy's going to be. So much of life still has to happen. So much of puberty still has to happen for our guys. And so it's important that we be there and ready and capable and willing to walk alongside these guys and deliver a, a credible, you know, environment and voice to help them navigate all of that. Yeah, that's huge. I, and I think like, you know, being a part of the Notre Dame football program, I say all the time that that's one thing that I really appreciate about our coaching staff and their philosophy is that, you know, if a guy comes in is a certain way his freshman year or makes a mistake his freshman year, like that doesn't follow him through his three to five years in the program. Like I give our coaches so much credit for literally letting people evolve and grow and understanding that this is a journey. And I think so many leaders in so many organizations get stuck in that. You know, you have somebody come in and maybe they chose your company as their first place to start out of undergrad. And, and then, you know, all of a sudden, five years later, they're still in the same role because we see them as uh, somebody straight out of college who's young, right, and and maybe was a bit abrasive early on in their career just because they're, you know, as young guns, we're flying around trying to change the world, right? And, uh, and so I love hearing that about the Pirates philosophy as well to people development is that it's qualitative, it's not predictive, and giving people the space and grace that they need to grow and to evolve as a human being and as a, a professional, right, whether that's in sport or in business. Open up your playbook a little bit for us. As it relates to, to engagement in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization, what are some of those things that you do, either from the recruiting all the way through a major league guy's career? Like, Give us some of the, the highlights or things that you've done along the way that you found really powerful to drive that player engagement. Well, I think the biggest thing for us is that we have to be aware that as our instruments get better for measurement in professional baseball, as um, social media or at least just the public domain uh, is constantly growing, there are just count seemingly countless voices out there that are influencing our players, that are speaking into the lives of our players. And that's something that we have to navigate. Sometimes it can be helpful. Sometimes it can be a, a significant prohibitive hurdle. Um, and I think any coach uh, at a high level could, uh, or any leader at a high level could empathize with having to navigate external influences that may or may not be aligned with the general direction that we're trying to go. So I, I think it's important that we understand that given that we, every time we speak to the player, our credibility is on the line and we have mm -hmm. to be able to engage them with both a way that they can trust and a way that they can see adds value to their, their progress. And um, trust is not something that happens quickly. As we know, credibility is in jeopardy at all times. And so when we're talking with our players, we've got to be have a heightened awareness to, to both of those things. So how do we do that? Developing and in some way expediting coach 
you know, epistemology, like how do we know what we know is a topic that fascinates me uh, and something we're doing a ton of research on. I think uh, no differently than our players who at, at their age are on a certain trajectory in their careers, at, in their playing careers, so too are our coaches. And we should just assume that like anything and somewhat basic, similar to what we were just talking about, we're constantly becoming something. And where everyone is at is unique to them. It's based on their own lived experiences. Some guys have strengths in some areas that others don't, that kind of thing. And so as facilitators of that environment, we've got to constantly be in this just constant sense-making mode, helping Mm. people figure out whatever um, the next step is, right? Get them from one dot to the next and constantly just be willing to pursue whatever it is that supports people and taking that next step to the next dot. Yeah, that's that's a such a big piece I think of leadership is just contextualizing people's experience for them, right? And and like you you called it sense making or literally helping people make sense of the environment that they're in, of the the demands that are being placed on them, of the season that they're in, right? You know, different industries go through different highs and lows and and sometimes when you're on the front lines of something, uh, you don't understand that. And so it just feels like a roller coaster or feels like wave after wave wave keeps hitting you. Or I've seen it sometimes too where you know an individual makes a mistake and and they sort of royally mess up and they think like oh my God, my career's over. But you've got old heads in the organization that sort of smile and they're like, all right, good. They got their first blow out of the way. Like that's going to be huge to their development. And so when you can have leaders or people that have been in the organization longer help contextualize for that individual, like what that experience really means and, and why it's really important or in their development, it strips away, I think, some of that fear and anxiety and allows the individual to just more intentionally engage in the process, uh, in the journey, in the demands that are being placed on you right now. Like, I'm sure you see this a lot, like guys coming in for their first spring training camp, right? You know, when I was with with you guys at spring training a couple years, I, I uh, Bernie Holiday, who's the mental performance coach for you guys, you know, he called it, that we call it like a groundhog day. Like every day is sort of the same. You never really know what day of the week it is because you're just in this state of training camp for such an extended period of time. What is it like for guys where that's there? How can how would you compare and contrast a guy who's first spring training versus a guy who's gone through multiple spring training camps and what sort of their mindset and and energy or experience is like? Yeah, as much as I love the uh, Bill Murray Groundhog Day reference, and it just totally makes me chuckle every time I've heard it in my life, we're getting further and further removed from a player population that has ever heard of Bill Murray or understands oh, geez, just I how know. Great, he, great he is. <laughs> so that, in and of itself, explaining the brilliance of Bill Murray and his comedy is one of our many challenges with this player population. But to that point, I, I think that speaks to the original question. You know, These guys have a vision of what it looks like to be a pro baseball player um, and all Oftentimes it's removed from the like hardcore, brutal realities of day-to-day life. And so when these guys show up and inevitably at some point, whether it happens in the first year or the second year, it doesn't matter. Baseball, the game's going to punch them in the nose. And how do they respond to that? is really what we're there for, right? And mm. being able to navigate that, you know, the, the Groundhog Day metaphor hinges on the idea that baseball is every day, 
right? Like it's not like football where you've got Sunday to watch tape, Monday to reinstall this coming weeks, you practice it all week, and then you go try and execute and be more physical. Baseball, you have a game the following day, right? So there's mm-hmm. trade-offs to that, right? There's there's definitely a perseverance element that is, you know, naturally required, but then oftentimes there's really a um, not enough time or space attributed to reflection or uh, looking back or debriefing, reviewing, you know, how you got to this point or what was the lessons from yesterday taught to you because you've got to go perform again immediately. And so this is our role in the coaching space. One of our, one of the mini hats that we wear is being able to help these guys navigate each day in a way that, you know, it's certainly not linear. Nothing about this is linear. You're dealing with human beings, but we definitely want it to have a positive slope to it in terms of them <laughs> understanding what the game, what the environment, their personal experience, their own evolution, what all of that is teaching them in a meaningful way. And, and we believe that in doing that, we're going to get to heightened performance. Yeah, no, that's huge. And I think, you know, one thing you mentioned about like your expectation of what it means to be a pro baseball player is here, or maybe your expectation of coming into a company and maybe the speed at which you think you're going to advance through an organization, your expectations here, but then reality often comes in down here. And this gap between is what we call cognitive dissonance, right? Like yeah. there's there's a disconnect in your brain between what you thought was going to happen and what really happened. And I think in that space of cognitive dissonance, so many people get lost and, and they quit and they tap out or they think maybe I wasn't built for this or maybe this organization wasn't what I, I thought it was. And so that contextualization and sense-making from the leaders and, and sort of stewards of an organization are so powerful, I think, to help bridge that gap for people and help them see there is a way forward, even though it might not be as fast as you might have thought, um, which I think speed and glamour is a lot of the things that that come attached to people's expectations. And, and that's huge. And, and from a hiring perspective, there's, there's something called like a realistic job preview that they found really helpful in trying to close that cognitive dissonance gap because like when you're when you're trying to hire somebody i mean you're recruiting right you're selling and and so sometimes we can oversell and then people come in and get the reality of the job and so these realistic job previews are intended to help people see what the what the day to day is really like and can you really see yourself in this space so that again that gap is a little bit smaller when they come in and try to to get on that journey This episode of Lippert Built to Lead podcast is brought to you by the Lippert Academy for Leadership, the team committed to enhancing your organization's leadership and cultural goals with strategic leadership development programs, on-site training, executive coaching, speaking engagement, and customized solutions. Find out how to get your organization involved at www.lci1.com backslash academy. Or send us a message at academy at lci1.com. That's academy at lci1.com. I'm curious, like, what are some of the, just what are some of the challenges that, that you're seeing right now with getting players to, to engage and trust that, that process? Because it is a long one that, that takes a lot of effort and a lot of time. Yeah, so that submission, I guess is the word I'll use to, mm. to the, the gap of, of cognitive dissonance there can manifest in so many ways. I, I think one that is probably the biggest tragedy in my mind is where someone looks at that gap and thinks, this isn't for me. And so what they end up doing is lowering both their expectations of, of what they could become and 
also lowering their standards uh, of how they need to go about their business, right? That, that to me is a tragedy. And no differently than we talk to our staff or our leaders, anyone of influence that we, we cannot be, we, we must have a zero tolerance policy for labeling people. Um, this idea that we're all continuing to evolve and become things, we've got to keep players from labeling themselves. Because when they do that, they put a ceiling on, on what they could become. It, it, it puts a constraint in every aspect of their world, not only from a, a you know cognitive growth sense making standpoint, but also from the habits and choices that they make in the day to day. Like you know, basically, since I'm not going to be this kind of player, I can get away with this kind of effort, or I mm. can make myself vulnerable to choices off the field that don't align with being the best player that I can be. Right, and so how they cope with that failure, which baseball is going to give you in abundance, is is, is the most difficult part of, be, of pursuing this as a career and as a vocation, and also the, the part that sharpens our guys the most, knowing that they're going to get that every day, it, it's an inevitable truth that they've got to figure out ways to overcome it. Wow, that was powerful. And there is so much packed into that. I can't wait to go back and listen to it and just process it. I'm curious, how how do you coach guys in that moment to not label themselves, uh, t- to minimize that putting a ceiling on their potential through that simple act of labeling. Yeah, I think it speaks to some of what you talked about earlier, right? When they're in the nitty gritty every day, it's really difficult to zoom out and have a broader perspective. And so that's our role. We have staff that are also in the grind with them every single day who suffer from the same challenges. I think that's a natural consequence of being upfront and you know facing a problem day over day. But our approach and our model has a, a layered group of voices that can come in and provide broader lens, broader perspective, see growth that's happening, whether or not, or, or regression, right? You know, like with maybe these challenges are showing up because we've gotten away from doing these things. It's hard to identify that too when you're facing it every day. But honestly, like for us, the challenge is to be rooted in something, to be rooted in not only who we are, who we're becoming, but what it is that we're working on. Otherwise, we end up very reactionary with often emotional or impulsive responses to the results. And and that's that's a, a great way to chase your tail for a long time. It's not necessarily the, the wisest strategy for improvement over the course of the season. Yeah, so two things really stood out to me there. One, what you said that your model of like layered voices to sort of provide that perspective and speak that truth. We say all the time, you know, Jason Lippert, our CEO, talks about like, if, if you think leadership and culture is important, that's great. And we want you on this journey. But the one thing that we know has the biggest impact is when you put resources, like actual people resources that are there for that purpose of leadership development, culture development, personal development. And what you just said is that, it again, that provides that, that sort of layered voice to help people contextualize so that they can show up as the best version of themselves on a more consistent basis. You know, and then I think the other piece there of just really being grounded in something. Like there's a pragmatic nature to what we do. It's not words on the wall and philosophy. It is, it's goals, right? It's identity. It's it's giving people something tangible that they can wrap their head and their heart around and intentionally develop moving forward. And that is something else that, you know, when we talk to people about leadership and culture, it's not just this hypothetical. It's what are the things that we're doing day in and day out, whether it's setting, setting goals through our leadership action plans, which is a tool that we use internally here, 
or whether it's developing a personal purpose statement, right, or clarifying your why. You know, all of those things are very core elements that that we can pragmatically put our hands to to bring culture to life and engagement to life and 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 leadership to life in an organization. And yet, when we bring all this stuff together and we're doing all this and we've got all these high performers, there's a little thing called ego, right, that can come in and, and play a part in any type of, of culture. And I'm curious, uh, being around elite athletes all the time, you know, how have you seen ego play a role in either personal development or team and organizational development? Yeah, so, so two things just following up off of that. One, I, I think what makes it really successful is at, at Lippert, at least in, in my brief glimpse into and building this relationship with you guys, is that Jason models this, right? Jason is about this. You, you would never be able to commit to a holistic development, leadership development, any kind of strategy if you were going to have to overcome you know, the, the top of the food chain. And the fact that Jason does this gives it this cascading momentum all the way down to your whatever your frontline worker or your in-learner is to be able to pursue this kind of approach, this kind of belief system, this kind of evolution in a way that's unique to them. And so given that, uh, I think it's a, a good segue and a, a you know parallel to ego where like Jason himself is willing to be vulnerable and uh, share what he's working on and what he's screwing up and how he's improved and how this looks differently than it did 10 years ago or whatever, right? And it's his name on the wall, right? He doesn't have to do any of that. Uh, but the fact that he does creates a space that allows for people to pursue this in their own right. There's an unbelievable clip from Coach K, and he shares a story about coaching USA basketball. And he uh, introduces it with a guy, Jerry Colangelo, who is the head of USA Basketball, tells the team that he wants them to check their ego at the door. And Coach K follows up, and his time to speak to the team, this is like one of their entry meetings, you know, right before they get started in like whatever their preseason camp would have been. And uh, he says, I'm going to disagree with Jerry right here, and this is the only time. I want you to bring your ego. I want Kobe to be Kobe. I want LeBron to be LeBron. I want everybody to be who they uniquely are. We need that ego. But I want you to develop and commit to a collective ego. I want you to be yourself, mm. but be of this, right? Be of this thing bigger than yourself. And so this is a real challenge for baseball players where there's so much individuality in not only like what makes them good, but how they go about their business. And we want to honor that. Uh, also, uh, especially playing for a team in a city like Pittsburgh, uh, it's important that they recognize that they're also working to become part of something bigger than themselves and hopefully something that represents the people that they're trying to serve in the city of Pittsburgh, which very blue collar mentality. You see it across um, the other sports with the Penguins and the Steelers. And that's something that we're challenged to replicate. Also coach K takes that story and adds on to it and, and shares, he says, retells a, a story he tells often with uh, his Duke team. And he says, I'm not asking you to be a Duke basketball player. I'm not asking you to be uh, Grant Hill or Christian Leitner or Shane Battier or Trajan Langdon or any of the great Duke players of the past. I'm asking you to be Duke basketball. And the choices and the habits that you make will define what Duke basketball looks like for you guys, for this team, and this you know finite opportunity that we have to compete for something. And so being able to help people understand who they are is important, is step one. Being able to understand how who they are and who they are becoming fits into something bigger than themselves uh, is, I guess, step 1B um, as a part of that equation for us. 
man, I love that. I love that. Cause like I get jacked up. You know, like I say all the time, like I want people to be confident. I want you to walk into a room or step on the field and feel like you're the best there, right? But not in an arrogant way. It's in a it's in a submission. Like we keep going back to that word, like a submission to the greater end point. And so I love that's a powerful story of Coach K and how he talks about that. And I think how we can think about ego and talking about ego in a healthy way for people because it's there for a purpose. And I think more than not, I see people that have such broken egos and are so insecure and self-doubting that it, it's like the opposite side of of what we're really af- people I think get afraid of as it relates to ego and so again like that confidence in oneself but then the bringing of that self to a broader purpose I think is where you get that healthy balance of confidence you know versus arrogance or, or unhealthy ego a professor shared with me recently this idea of imposter syndrome and the antidote to imposter syndrome is servant leadership, being able to serve others and and find gratitude in a way to get outside of yourself and serve someone else. And so that's something that we have tried to bake into our process over the years. And although it sounds a little hokey, a little Sunday schooly, if that's a word, uh, it's definitely value um, on our young people and and our staff as well to be able to help them be rooted in gratitude, rooted in gratefulness for the opportunity, the people that sacrifice for them to be able to pursue pro baseball, et cetera. So being able to game in gratitude and servant leadership is certainly part of the strategy to compete against that ego where it can get out of hand and you know, pull you what, what does that look like, practically speaking? Like, what are the things that you do to instill that? Well, for years, we would have our rookies, you know, recently part of the you know most recent draft class or whatever, and we would put them through a, a lengthy um, onboarding process. I, I've kind of grown to this place where I think onboarding is more of a, uh, a consequence of HR, where you learn this is, you know, how you're going to get your taxes. And this is where you go to check your pay stub. And this is, uh, if you have a question about insurance, you go to these people. When it comes to culture, I'm, I'm much more in the mode lately of considering considering it induction. And how do you induct someone into a culture and help them understand what are the standards and norms and expectations of being here? And, and how are we all going to serve each other as part of this? Uh, practically speaking, one of the ways that we did that is we would have a session that we, we would unpack a, a parable of uh, the praying hands parable of the the um, Durer brothers. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it's it's one of my favorites and definitely a bread and butter play. And from that, we would remind guys that although they're sitting in the room as professional baseball players for the Pittsburgh Pirates, you know, a lot of people made it so that could happen. For starters, you know, family members, guardians, or whoever it may have been that helped them, you know, literally position themselves in a way that they could get noticed uh, and recognize that in a way that fit what we were trying to do. Secondly, there was somebody internally, an area scout, and this is a really good way for us to have gotten synergy across different departments. An area scout has traveled, you know, 20,000 miles year over year in their car seeing ball players, And they said that this particular guy is worthy of wearing our uniform and worthy of wearing our colors. Uh, and that's an important thing to say. And so after we go through the parable of uh, the praying hands, which really just speaks to one brother sacrificing for another so that the other one could go on and do, do great things, the other brother tries to honor the sacrifice and honor the commitment. And we ask our guys to write thank you cards. Um, and so we give them a couple simple thank you cards. And that's kind of old school, putting pen to paper and telling somebody thank you for, for um, 
allowing me this opportunity to go pursue a dream of mine. Um, but it really helps our guys take themselves out of the center of the equation, find a, a source of gratitude, be rooted in that, and also share that amongst the other people that are um, clearly invested in their uh, growth and career. Um, and, and hopefully we can create that relationship and strengthen that bond so that those voices are continually invested in that career. I love that. That's that's powerful. What about KPIs? I think that, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about is just how do you measure the impact, you know, of ROI on things like leadership and culture? Have you guys found any any good KPIs or how do you measure it or or sort of show the impact of what this means as such a core part of the Pittsburgh Pirates organization? I think this is the hardest part of the space, right? Like you you want to be able to go to decision makers and say, see, all of this stuff has incredible value. And you want to be able to demonstrate it in a way beyond just saying, like, don't you agree that this is the right thing to do, right? Like, you want to be able to say hard and fast, um, this is the way that we solve for this, and this is the um, year-over-year dollars that it creates for us, the competitive advantage that it creates for us, which is really difficult to do. This is really a, a qualitative space. Like, I, I don't know that we'll ever find a solution that speaks to some kind of hard number uh, of how we're doing it, but I do think we could be measuring it better. Really, day over day, what I want to see, and this is what we talked about earlier with coach epistemology, like how do we know what we know? I want to see that growing um, in an exponential way all the time. I want to see our guys engaged in that conversation all the time in a manner that allows them to share what their strategy was in pursuing a player and pursuing a coaching strategy, knowing that it's going to be vulnerable for feedback, whether people agree with it or disagree with it. And that really doesn't matter. We're just trying to learn from it and share that wisdom um, as we do it. I want to see our guys move in from theory, which we do a ton of work on um, downloading into them content in terms of motor learning theory and how, how do we design an experience that helps the body literally retain information better, all that stuff. I want to see that move from theory to application. And I want to see people willing to share from their experience and what it looks like in applying it in the lives of a player. What was all of the, you know, the many contexts that they had to have a heightened awareness to for it to be worth anything? And then how would they do it differently? How might they do it better moving forward? I think part of this for sure requires, like we talked about in the beginning, our leadership or any person of influence, really, that's how I would define leadership as the sense makers in this process, that we've got to be constantly attacking uh, problems and challenges and not people. Part of that is also baked into the idea that, especially when it comes to ego, like feedback can't be taken personally. It's not personally. It's not an indictment on your character or integrity as a human being. We're literally just trying to solve for this challenge. And you got to be heightened awareness to, to both sides of that equation, right? Both in how you give feedback and also how you receive feedback. Um, the second, uh, the last thing that I want to see from us in terms of an outcome is that we have coherent logic in the way we choose to approach different challenges or a willingness to debrief our process in a way that speaks to improved coherence uh, or improved logic moving forward. We, we cannot get into this space where if we you know, misfire and shoot a hole in the wall, we go up and draw a circle around it and tell people we hit the bullseye. That is not satisfactory and does not ultimately, you know, the consequence of that is our in learner, it's our players. And so that's what I want to see. Coach epistemology growing every day, a richer and deeper discourse around it. I want to see us constantly reminding each other that um, we're attacking challenges and not people as human beings. And then we're constantly uh, using rooted in something rooted in meaningful process, good logic, and how we go about these things. And in, in times that we're not, we're not perfect. Um, we're willing to debrief it and call it for what it uh, what it was and be better moving forward. 
Love that. So last thing here as we wrap up, Brian, man, this has been such a good conversation. I feel like we could keep going here for another couple hours. Uh, I love every time we get to banter on stuff like this. But as sort of a summary thought here, what is something that you wish other people outside of professional baseball um, really knew and understood about the life and the challenges that exist within your organization as it relates to culture and, and engagement of people in that culture? Yeah, baseball itself is a lifestyle, right? There's a lot about working in this space that puts strains on uh, supporting cast, family members, wives, girlfriends, kids, etc., all the way down the chain. And so being able to pursue this is really an opportunity that we're granted by the people that lift us up. And it puts a lot of stress on them. It is a lifestyle. I joke with people that I was a lifetime platinum Marriott member before my 30th birthday, which means I've spent a thousand nights in a hotel. That's a lot. It's too much, um, honestly. And so being able to understand the nature of that, I'm not looking for any kind of sympathy, but know that these people are committed to their craft and doing it. And it's hard. It's hard. If a guy fails seven out of 10 times as a hitter, he's still probably going to go to the Hall of Fame. That's how hard it is. And it's getting harder and harder, especially as our instruments get better in the the pitching space and and be able to sharpen their skill set. So understanding that this is a lifestyle and kind of going back to a favorite Teddy Roosevelt quote of credit belongs to the man in the arena. That's actually from a speech that he gave. Um, I have really no other dope or context on the speech, but there's another segment of that speech where he talks about it's it's a sign of of a weak group of people to be moved by mere oratory and apart Mm. from the habits and behaviors that make this work. And so the credit belongs to the man in the arena. They're they're doing everything that they can, uh, both staff and players, to facilitate growth and in heightened performance and to be able to do it on the highest level, the highest stage in front of a, you know, 30,000 people in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, really, really difficult to do, uh, but a worthy pursuit. And so we're trying to help these guys understand all of the choices that they have to make that align with being worthy of that caliber of an opportunity. Incredible, Brian. It's been such an honor um, learning about your organization, how you guys think, how you operate, and how you so intentionally go about building cultures to drive engagement with your players. The the last thing that we do here on our show is to just give our listeners some leadership development uh, training, something that they can do that will help them grow as a person, as a professional. So we would love to hear from you. If you could give our give our listeners one thing that, that you think they could do to help them grow as a leader based off of something in our conversation today, what would you tell us that high-performance leadership training should be for us this week? Oh, man. One of two things, and of course, neither of these things are original thoughts of mine, but challenge yourself to play the five why game. Why Why do you do what you do? And for every answer that you come up with, try and dig a layer deeper until you get to something that you think you can really sink your teeth into. A second option, if, if the five why game is a little scary, uh, a second option would just to be rooted in gratitude. If you're rooted in gratitude, you're, you're not going to miss anything in terms of an opportunity or the, the, you know, a particular moment for the people you're with. And there's no shame in putting pen to paper and just saying, thank you. Hey, thank you for the sacrifice you made for me to have this opportunity. I'm going to honor it with the habits and the choices that I make in pursuit of this. And I'm just grateful for your role in my life. You say that to people. Um, I've had players write thank you cards to me and they, I don't have wall hangings in my office. These are the things that surround my desk and keep me motivated every day. So being rooted in gratitude and being rooted in understanding why you do what you do, you can't go wrong with either of those. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Selman of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. I look forward to staying in touch and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. 
Thank you so much for joining us and know that together we can use the 40 or 50 hours a week we have to influence and impact others and truly make business a force for good in this world. If you don't mind, do me a favor and leave your comments for us and share this episode with a few people. The world needs this message. Thanks again for joining us. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the view or mission of Lippert Components Incorporated.